It's time for the Fantasy Points Podcast, brought to you by FantasyPoints.com. Top-level fantasy football and NFL betting analysis from every perspective and angle, from numbers to the film room, with a single goal to help you score more fantasy points. We are back with another episode of Take Talk. I'm your host, Brett Whitefield, and today we are joined by our usual replacement player. That's Christopher Wacht. Chris, what's up, man? I'm doing good. That's a new one, replacement player. I don't think you've called me that one before. <laughs> you're the you're the sixth man of the year. But you're like the third man, actually. Third. But yeah. Third man of the I'll year. I'll take it. Yeah, so Steve Steve is gone. He had some uh, friend slash family stuff going on, and so Chris, you are sitting in his chair. And today, the goal or the plan is to talk about tight ends and the top ten tight end units in the NFL as we get closer to wrapping our our unit ranking series. We only have quarterbacks to go after this, Chris. You know, we should have taken quarterbacks for ourselves and left Steve out of that one. That's a much more fun one. Much more fun than tight ends, but hey. Tight end saved football. Have you ever heard that phrase? No. I think, was it Ty, Ty Dunn? Ty Dune? Do you know him, the writer? I don't think I do. Yeah, you do. I'm just probably not saying his last name right. But anyways, he he wrote a book, I believe, called How Tight End Save Football. <laughs> and it's it's a pretty good book. But anyways, um, here we are. About to do the, the top 10 tight end rankings. Before we get into that, though, Chris, there is some NFL news. Um, I want to start with the Detroit Lions have released their alternate helmet. And, you know, pre like seeing everyone's reaction, I, my first reaction was like, these are really sweet. I love them. And then as the day went on, I realized everyone's really mad about these helmets. And it's so funny. But it got me thinking to a bigger point, whether you like the helmet or not. Does it just seem like it's it's cool these days to hate new jerseys or new helmets or new colors or new logos i can't remember a logo release or a jersey release or a helmet release where everybody was in unison like all oh, these are awesome at least 50 percent of the people utterly despise whatever is released it's like a cool fad to just hate whatever whatever is new in in professional sports yeah there's definitely not a lot i i'm trying to think back of one that i remember people like universally liking probably I don't know if you have to like go as far back as when the Chargers brought out their like powder blue jerseys, or I think people yeah, really liked wild. the Cardinals like all black helmets from last year and stuff. Those uniforms. Oh. Yeah, I loved the Cardinals uniforms last year. I liked the Falcons when they did a similar color scheme when they brought that out. Uh, I, I've loved all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the only ones I can kind of think of that people universally liked. And you, you, you're sure it was universal. Well, I'm sure there's there's always some people that don't like stuff. Yeah, I feel like the Cardinals one was well-received. The Falcons one, I don't remember it being that well-received. But yeah. yeah, I don't know. It just seems like it doesn't matter who the team is or, or you know, whether if they're a winning team or a losing team or there's like whatever the bias is, it just doesn't matter. It seems like everyone just automatically decides to hate whatever the release is. So. A lot of teams, I don't know, sometimes I do wonder where teams get their designs from because like, you'll see like a random uh, graphic designer on Twitter, Instagram, whatever platform. They'll do like logo redesigns. And I'm like, wow, that looks really cool. And then you see what teams come out with. And sometimes I'm just like, where, why? But why this? 
Yeah, that is true. I mean, you definitely get, especially like if you're into like modern, you know, modern art or whatever. There, there's a lot of artists on Twitter and Instagram that come out with just sweet jerseys and sweet helmets, and then it's almost never that cool when it comes out, you right? Know? But I think teams still kind of live in a practical world of like, all right, well, we got to, we still have to have a brand that's like representable across every medium, you know. And I'm not sure some of those super modern, you know, logos or, or jersey layouts accomplish that. But I love the color of the Lions helmet. I just, yeah, the logo is not great. I know it's the like old line logo, yeah. but it's it's not great. It was their logo the last time they won a championship, so they're trying to invoke some. Uh, they're trying to manifest some some winning spirit here in Detroit. They need it. They they what is it <laughs> like thirty years since they won a playoff game or something like 30, that? Thirty years since they won a playoff game, and they've never been to a Super Bowl. I think they're are they the only team left? No, isn't there Houston? Cleveland. Houston. Well, Houston went as the Oilers, though. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, I guess only town. Yeah. I'm pretty sure it's either. I think it might be Detroit and Cleveland. Has, has Cleveland been to a Super Bowl? Are we saying been to a Super Bowl or won a Super Bowl? Been to a Super Bowl. Yeah, that's that's a shorter list. Yeah, I know Arizona was the third team for a while, but then Kurt Warner yeah, took them. Yep. Um. It yeah. Yeah. It's it's pretty crazy though, and it's. They haven't won an NFL championship since 1957. So, you know, we're well over 50 years at this point. And the 50-year curse should be broken in theory. You know, Bobby Lane, when he was traded from the Lions after they won that last championship, he cursed the Lions for 50 years, said you'll never win for 50 years. Well, that 50 years is up. So we should be <laughs> should be in winning territory here pretty soon. Uh, they've got a good shot this year to at least win a playoff game. I'll, I'll say to that. at least win a playoff game, yeah. But all right, before we get to the tight ends, let's do one more thing. Delvin Cook and DeAndre Hopkins watch really no news. The only news that, that came out this week is that who did Delvin say this or DeAndre, but they want to play together. Oh, I did not see that, that they want to play together. One of them said like, oh, it'd be sick if we could play together. I don't it doesn't necessarily mean it will uh, happen. I don't think there's a team that works for. <laughs> yeah, but I, it got me thinking because I'm I'm the George Costanza of fantasy football. <laughs> So it got me thinking, like, I just traded for Ramondre Stevenson in our, one of our Dino Leagues, Chris. Yeah. And Hopkins is obviously linked to the Patriots the heaviest. If they did play together, that means they would also sign Dalvin Cook, which means my trade for Ramondre Stevenson would just that would be brutal timing on my part. Like, absolutely brutal timing. So That might be uh, the one team that might do it, too. <laughs> right. Although I was checking out their cap situation, they'd have to move a lot of money around to make that happen. Presumably, depends on how much these guys want. But yeah, they're probably not going to do it then. Yeah, yeah, but that I mean, that would be interesting. The Patriots do you think, might have a real offense this year if they did you, that. Do you think the Patriots are trying to win a Super Bowl this year? Yes, it's an interesting discussion. I wonder how many teams are actually tr- think they are trying to win the Super Bowl. Like we've got we we have to try this year. I, they're, I think they're tricky. Ones. Higher than you probably think it is. Yeah, I, I bet. I bet it is as well. As well. Have you ever spent any time around an NFL locker room? No. Like whether it was at camp or any. So like, even really bad teams somehow have this innate ability to drink their own Kool Aid all off season, and by the time they get to camp, whether they're they won three games last year or ten, they're all convinced they're going to win the Super Bowl. It's one of the most amazing feats of, of mental fortitude you've ever seen in your life. 
no some for some teams that fades after like two weeks because you're like oh wow we just got our ass kicked twice in a row <laughs> the season's not going well but it's true though when they get to training camp like middle of training camp they're most of the i would say like 90 percent of these teams think they have a legitimate shot to be super bowl contenders and it doesn't matter how bad they were the year before um so and like, that's part i guess that's part of the job right you have to you have to think you're the well, best yeah. or else you're gonna get worked so well, that yeah, but, it's it's more like do the coach has to act like that and and believe that because if he doesn't believe it, his players aren't going to believe it. I could right. see a GM, an owner, being like, "We know we're not trying <laughs> to win the Super Bowl this year." Like, right. well, like the Minnesota Vikings are a good example. The offseason moves they have made don't suggest they right. think they're contenders. Yeah, but you know? they're like Kirk Cousins and the coach probably right. are like, "Yeah, we're gonna we're trying to win this year." I mean, Cousins just said the other day this is going to be the the best offense he's ever been a right. part of. Yeah. So. But like Houston, there's no way Houston is trying to win the Super Bowl this year. Or right, right. I could see Carolina maybe thinking they are trying to win, being in a bad NFC. But again, they probably shouldn't think that they were trying to win. Yeah. Arizona, no way they think they. Yeah, can win. they don't think they're winning. They're not trying to win this year. That's probably a, you're right. It's probably a lot less than we think it is. It's probably like five or six teams. Yeah, something like that. Um, since I haven't talked to you about this live on a podcast, where do you want Dalvin Cook and DeAndre Hopkins to go? What do you think the best landing spots for them are? So this I kind of thought of for the first time yesterday. There's the, We saw a report, I forget if it was yesterday or the day before, that the Joe Mixon contract stuff is still up in the air. Bengals might cut him. We'll see what happens. I don't really think that – like that's pretty – not cool of the Bengals to wait this long to cut him if they were going to cut him like either tell him the con the, the money he's getting paid is is too much or it isn't and and move on but if they did cut him I would like Dalvin Cook in oh, Cincinnati I think that would be that's probably the best landing spot for any free agent running back if Mixon is cut true but I think Dalvin Cook in that offense would be a lot of fun and at worst it's going to be the same level of production that joe mixon was giving them yeah that's that would be sexy man uh, i didn't really think about it until you just said that i was thinking like denver would be a nice spot but um yeah i mean the cincinnati offense is very similar from a run run concept standpoint to what he's used to playing with in minnesota um plus you know we know burrow will get his backs involved in the pass game so that's like a slam dunk from both an NFL and fantasy standpoint, I think that'd be sweet. Right. They and should they probably could, do that regardless if they have Mixon or not, to be honest. Yeah, it wouldn't be a bad thing. Because they probably Mixon Mixon's cap hits like twelve million. They could probably get Cook for less than that this year if they really yeah. wanted to. Yeah, I think. Especially because Minnesota's still paying Cook, right? A little bit. Uh I think so, yeah. Yeah. So that would be nice. Um Denver would be nice too, but I, I kind of think Denver thinks Javante is going to be okay soonish for them. Whether that yeah. is actually true or not, or like pr- he's productive or not, is a different question. But I, it, their actions seem like they think he's going to be fine. Um, yeah. There's also the deep internet rumors that Peyton's just waiting for the Saints to cut Kamara, <laughs> <laughs> which I mean is it's a pretty plausible scenario. Actually, I mean I don't think Kamara's like a lock to not get suspended by any means. And if he gets suspended, the saints might look to move on because uh, they have a pretty solid backfield other than Kamara now with Kendra Miller there and J- Jamal Williams. And they signed somebody else too. I think like the thing they, they brought in three running backs this offseason. So 
I'm just blanking on who it is, but yeah, um, I mean, I think they'd be in trouble if they, in terms of what they get out of that backfield, if they let Kamara walk. Oh, Eno Benjamin is who they brought in. It's kind of a nothing, but yeah, still, yeah. it's weird though for them to if they're truly confident in Kamara to then bring in three running backs. I mean, that's kind of strange. But well, they've always been a multi. They've always liked yeah, having other guys there. That's true. But yeah, so what about Hopkins though? Hopkins is trickier. I mean, New England could definitely use him. It just is not the most fun landing spot for Hopkins, probably. But that I like, I like the reunion with with Bob. Yeah, I mean, he's I definitely going to. Oh, I agree. I think I think Matt Jones is. I mean, we all. If you re if we were doing this podcast two years ago, we would have be talking about how Mac Jones is the best QB from that cl- the draft class, probably. Yeah. Um, and then he gets one season without a, a, a guy that's doing architecture while coming up with an offensive game plan. So uh, I can imagine why he didn't play well last year. So yeah. yeah, I like Mac. That that's probably actually yeah you're right. It's probably a pretty good spot. They. I mean, he could play any position. He could play out wide. He could play in the slot for them, and they've, they'd have room for him to be productive. Yeah. Obviously, it would be awesome if, like, the Chiefs signed him, but at this point it doesn't seem super realistic that the, like, Bills and Chiefs of the world are going are gonna to bring him in. They also have literally no money. <laughs> I think the Chiefs do. I think they could make it work. I think they're, they're still bottom five in cap space. Bills are dead last, but. Yeah, I know the Bills probably can't do it. Um. Yeah, it seems like New England might be the only team right now, well, other than like a really bad team, which we know Hopkins isn't going to go to, but the only competitive team right now that can probably guarantee Hopkins like 130 targets. Yeah. And that's Tennessee, probably what Hopkins wants. Tennessee could, but they don't throw the ball enough for that to, for that well, to happen. And are they actually competitive is the question. Right, yeah. So. But, but I would yeah. rather see him in New England than Tennessee for sure. Yeah, although if he landed in Tennessee, it could help my Traylon Burks sucks take from two years ago. So, yeah, Burks is a, a guy I've started to have to come around on because I'm just like yeah, I don't same. know where else they're going to throw the ball. Right, holding out hope he, for Kyle Phillips still. Well, yeah, Philip. I think Phillips could play, but it doesn't even matter because they need like they need a dude and. Yeah, Burks. He by default he's going to like fall into 120 targets plus this year, right? And he should produce on that. So and then, yeah, and if they're creative like Arkansas was in college with him getting the ball, the like he can be productive. Yeah, agreed. All right, let's dive into tight end unit rankings, Chris. I I don't know. We didn't really talk beforehand about how we were going to put these rankings together, but. For me, my criteria was I I factored pass catching ability way more than than blocking ability, and then uh, furthermore, I factored ability to beat man coverage a little bit higher than just beating zone. I know tight ends don't get a lot of opportunity against man as is, but if you can beat man as a tight end, you're you're going to rank pretty highly for me. And then on top of that, uh, I factored starters way heavier, obviously than than bench players rotational guys but i did fa- teams with like really solid units like top to bottom ranked high for me because i like the idea of being you know multiple and multifaceted and, and taking advantage of 12 personnel looks i think passing out of 12 personnel with play action is one of the most effective ways to to exploit defenses in the nfl today so 
Um, I, fa- I I weighed that pretty I, pretty considerably, and then for the most part, I ignored rookies outside of like Kincaid um, and Laporta. But La- they didn't Laporta didn't make my top ten anyway, so it didn't matter. But for the most part, I ignored rookies. Yeah, I would say I pretty much am in line with there. I definitely I, I didn't want to. It's mostly starter heavy, and then if if whether you already do or whether i think you the team's going to use a lot of those backups definitely factors in i don't want to uh, there's no tight ends are hard positions to make impacts on i want if i'm going to rank them in the top 10 i want them to feel like they actually do something for the team whether that is blocking or receiving preferably receiving yeah. but definitely don't want to like not that the miami dolphins have like a legit tight end but they just don't use them in their offense. So there's, you know, if, if they did have a legit one, I probably wouldn't include them. Yep. All right. Well, without further ado, let's jump in. I'm just going to go ahead and say we probably have the same number one. Yeah, probably. It's Kansas City Kansas for City. me. Yeah. Yeah. Best tight end in the league, Travis Kelsey. Um, One of the best tight ends of all time. Who knows? Maybe when it's all said and done, he will be considered the best tight end of all time. But as of right now, I probably give that honor to Gronk. Doesn't matter. Gronk's not in the league anymore. So Kelsey is the number one guy. And you know what's crazy about them is I, I think their tight end room is actually good beyond Kelsey. So it's like n- not only do they have the best guy, but they also have some depth. I think Noah Gray is a functional player. And I think Jody Fortson is a very underrated ball winner type tight end that can be a, a massive red zone threat. So I, I like this unit as a whole but i obviously love travis kelsey as well yeah i think either of those guys it's amazing how healthy kelsey has stayed over the years playing a tight end position that does tend to get hurt a lot and we haven't yeah. really gotten to see these guys shine but when they do use the 12 personnel and occasionally even 13 personnel these guys have flashed at times and i, I definitely think that even if kelsey were to miss games they'd be totally fine at the position just not you know not elite because you don't have travis kelsey but yeah, they definitely do have some nice depth behind him. There were fantasy analysts in the preseason last year, Chris, who decided to to plunge Kelsey in their rankings because Jordy Fortson was tearing up the preseason. That doesn't make any sense. Remember that, but there's other that? reasons. That doesn't make any sense. At least just say, give me the Kelsey is getting old argument more than that. It was both. It was like, hey, not only is Kelsey getting old, but they've got some legit depth behind him. You know, they might start to phase him out of the offense a little bit to preserve his career, which is a legit th- they thought did process. They kind of do that. If they did a little bit. You're right. They did. And that was my take on it. I was like, yeah, I think the thought process here was good. I just think they're you're overstating how much that's going to impact his production, and that's definitely what we saw. Yeah, he just so. yeah, he just gets open. Like, if, he, if he's running routes, he's getting open, and he's getting targets, which pretty much no yeah. other tight end can you can say that for. In the connection with with Mahomes is, you know, otherworldly. So, yes. All right, throw out your number two. Uh, so I went with the Ravens here, <clears throat> and so did I. I'm not even the biggest Mark Andrews fan, but he, he's definitely a very good tight end. But this is a team that the depth also really makes a difference for me. Um, yes, Isaiah likely we saw he might be like the true first tight end handcuff this year. Like he came in and and put up numbers when Andrews missed time last year. Uh, he's he's not much of a blocker, but he definitely can get open and, and play well in the receiving game. Um, we didn't get to see Charlie Kohler really play last year due to injury. Uh, he I, he was a guy that I know we both liked, and he was actually drafted before likely, 
Um, yep. hope, I mean, hopefully he can actually get on the field this year. Who knows if he'll, you know, kind of overtake that tight end two spot. They, they kind of play different roles in the offense entirely. They do. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it, and this is also the team that drafted Hayden Hurst before Mark Andrews. So who, who knows what they really think of these guys. But yeah, they have very, probably the best. If Kelsey wasn't as elite as he is, they probably have the best overall tight end room in the NFL. For sure. Kohler, you know, we haven't got to see him, but he 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 was a great – I really liked him as a prospect. I liked him more than likely. I think he does a lot of the small things that is required at the tight end position better than likely. Likely, obviously, kind of is more of a one-to-one replacement for Andrews from like a slot perspective. You're right. trying to get slot mismatches where Kohler is like just an all-around tight end. He can play in the slot, but he doesn't have to. He can play in line. He's a good blocker. Ridiculous hands. Like this guy does not drop anything. Good route runner, and he's a bigger target than likely. Um, likely he's definitely more of your move tight end um, but Andrews man enough can't be said about how he's affected that pass game in Baltimore he truly has been their number one wide receiver um, and he basically plays wide receiver because he's a s- slot mostly guy he uh, but he's you know Kelsey in his in his mid-30s now I would say Andrews is probably the best tight end in the NFL at beating man coverage um, I think even the data the last couple of years kind of yeah, bears that 2. out 2.53 yards per out run versus man coverage schemes yeah, which is which is really nice. Um, good production there. Kelsey has a higher level of raw production, but it's on a lot more volume as well. Um, but yeah, I, you know, Andrews is just a dynamic threat in the pass game. So if he caught the ball consistently and didn't uh, didn't alligator, yeah, the he, ball, I thought it he'd just get him even on the better. jugs for like yeah. tell him to do that for practice. He doesn't really need to practice anything else. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But Andrews is still pretty young, too. He's like 27, I think. And so he's got like five, six years of, of premium production probably left in him. So, yep. It'll be interesting to see if the new offense. I mean, we've just only. Have we seen him play with anyone but Greg Roman? I guess not, right? Nope. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what it, you know, does a lot of Evan 11 personnel open up things for him? Do they even go a lot of 11 personnel? I, it's, it's going to be hard to tell me that you're not getting Andrews likely Kohler on the field a good amount together with and but forcing OBJ um, Zay Flowers as a rookie and Bateman is yet to really live up to his hype yet despite I think he's got a high ceiling. Yeah, I know college football is basically a different sport, but if you look at what Todd uh, Todd Monken did at Georgia, obviously they've become like tight end you taking that thrown from iowa especially next year when uh when brock bowers comes out but they've been they've been pushing out a ton of tight ends since monkin's been there so um i think he definitely likes to get those tight ends involved in the past game so i don't i don't see much of a dip for andrews but yeah um all right let's move on so they were my two as well who was your three um this is where it got a little tricky for me and i ultimately went with the eagles whoa the, the Philadelphia Eagles. Okay, I had the Eagles all the way down at 10. 10? 10. That is some disrespect to Dallas Goddard. <laughs> no, I like Goddard. I think Goddard is a very good tenant. I just don't like anyone behind him is the problem with me. But go ahead. You make your case for the for the Eagles and then. So it's it's obviously heavy, heavily driven by Goddard. I think Goddard is he he said this back when I think it was his second year in the NFL back when Zach Ertz was still on the team that he 
he was a top three tight end in the league. Uh, this is like, I don't even know if Kittle was really even doing what Kittle does today at this point. So, and I think he's totally right. I think he is overall probably a top three talent tight end in the NFL behind Kelsey and Andrews. What he can do from a blocking perspective changes how that run game works. He is awesome against receiving. Speaking of yards per hour run versus man coverage, 2.3 is that's third behind Kelsey and Andrews. Um, He can do pretty much everything you could want a tight end to do. He just happens to play on a team that has A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith on it and and has a mobile QB and a strong running game. There's just only so much – only so many places the ball can go in a play. Um, but yeah, he does pretty much everything. So he's awesome. I don't, I don't think there's much more to say about him. I think the backups are not as bad as they get let out, to, at least compared to like the rest of the NFL. I don't think other than like the Ravens, I don't think a lot of, and the chiefs, I don't think a lot of these teams have awesome backup tight ends. Jack Stoll is probably pretty much just a blocker for them, but he is good at what he does there. I think they want Grant Calcaterra to be kind of a move tight end for them. Uh, yeah. We saw it a little bit last year, but he, he again, started the year on, with injuries, so didn't really start to come on till late in the year. And then they have Dan Arnold on the team who they brought in, who I, who I kind of always liked. Underrated signing. Yeah. He, I mean, I don't know if all four of these guys make the roster. Um, they do play a good amount of 12 personnel, so I bet they do try to find a way to do it. It just – they they've like running back is another position they've got a lot of guys at so they're gonna have to make some cuts here but I think it's a solid backup tight end room it's obviously if Goddard were to miss a game the, the room is you know it, the position is not gonna do a whole lot for you unless a guy like Grant Calcaterra really steps up but yeah I think I think it is a better overall room than they probably get credit for yeah so. I look at this backup situation like so Jack Stoll. So for those that don't know, Dallas Goddard is one of the only modern tight ends in the league that plays almost exclusively in line. Like they do not move him around at all. Jack Stoll, similar. Like he is the he's the inline backup. And then you have Dan Arnold and Grant Calcaterra, I think, competing for that move tight end spot. Dan Arnold throughout his career has almost never played in line. He's always been like a slot, a big slot guy. Grant Calcaterra in college, his last year at SMU, he legitimately didn't play in line. Like, he was a slot receiver. They just called him a tight end in the draft because that's what he's always played. Um, so I think Arnold and Calcaterra kind of competing for that move tight end spot. And then Stoll is the direct backup to Goddard. Um, I just don't I don't love any of those guys. Arnold hasn't made any noise in a few years, really. So um, I'm, I'm, I might be underrating that move a little bit, but I just, you know, we need to see Calcaterra develop a little bit as well, but um, I do love Dallas Goddard though. So maybe I'll move them up a spot or two. So Goddard actually ran a larger percentage of, of his routes from the slot than in line last year. Really? Yeah. doesn't mean his snaps were more there, but his, when he ran a route, they do use him to block a lot in line. So it is surprising. Uh, he wasn't, he's way more effective in line, 3.3 yards per out run in line compared to 1.2 in the slot. Uh, but again, that he, he's not going to get a lot of plays designed up for him in the slot. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think Goddard is, you know, one of the more underrated players in the league. He's uh, he's as complete of a tight end as you're going to find as well. So um, I definitely like him. My, uh, You know what? I'll move them up. Let's see. I, I have – here, I'll move them up to number eight. How about that? <laughs> You made a good case. 
and I do love Goddard. So they're 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 my number eight now. But is that is that the first ever live ranking change for any of these positions? For me, uh, Steve's changed a few on the fly a couple times, but I'm I'm an immovable object, Steve or Chris. I almost just go to Steve. <laughs> All right, my number three, um, and I know I know you're gonna scrutinize this one heavily, but I, I stuck with my gut here, and that's uh, the New York Giants. Wow, they're in my um, list, but that's interesting. So Darren Waller, when healthy, is probably the second best receiving tight end in the nfl he gives defenses maybe he might even be like more effective than kelsey at this point in his career i think the kelsey mahomes connection elevates kelsey's production quite a bit darren waller gives defenses absolute nightmares he is a he is a menace to society he's great against man he's great against zone he can line up literally anywhere wide slot he can beat defensive backs one on one with his size and physicality. He can crush linebackers and safeties um, against man with his speed and athleticism. The dude is a, he's a freak of nature. When he's healthy, and that's a big caveat, when healthy because he hasn't been healthy the last couple of years, he is freaking awesome in the past game. I think they're going to build that offense around him as well. I think they're going to basically feed Waller until the wheels fall off this year. Daniel Bellinger as their two is a he played really really freaking good as a rookie one of the better rookie seasons we've seen of late from a tight end and he you know now he's their number two but he's a complete player he's a he's a really good blocker really good in pass pro and he's a, he's a really good receiver and I don't know if you've seen pictures of Mr. Guns Bellinger but the dude is absolutely yoked coming into year yeah, two yeah. <laughs> like he yeah, is he's huge he's just yeah massive just muscle mass and just trim he's like completely jacked completely ripped looks like his his pee would melt a cup to be honest with you so uh i'm sure the nfl is watching that that situation closely with the with the potential of ped usage there but anyways i i really love this one-two punch probably you know looking i mean i, lo- I love the andrews likely one-two combo there but waller bellinger is really solid especially because they do completely different things so they complement each other really well um, if they decide to be heavy 12 personnel this year, I think that's going to be really good for the Giants. But Yeah, yeah, I had them I at five. Um, okay. So not too well, far. So not too far off, yeah. Waller, uh, yeah, I was uh, Bellinger was a guy that I thought did pretty well last year given his opportunities. Uh, I was a little, especially as a rookie tight end, a position that we regularly see take time to really get going yeah. it for rookies. Um, I was a little surprised when they made the trade for Waller. I, I they must view him as a very good receiver because they have not a lot of receiving talent and they gave up not like significant capital, but they gave up decent capital to go get Waller despite having what I thought was a solid rookie tight end performance from last mm-hmm. year. So I, I mean, he's definitely not going to play a lot in line. I mean, he didn't for the Raiders and I doubt right. he does for the giants as well. The problem is that the giants just have like so many slot receivers on their team. So it's just like, how do you fit all these guys in? Yeah, I think the idea there is like you get 12 personnel in the field. You get Waller and Bellinger together, however you line them up. And then and then you bring in those slot guys. They're all quick and speedy. You bring them all on the field and, and you're, you're forcing heavier personnel on defense. So you're taking a defensive back off the field. The reaction time from linebackers like you're going to force them into playing zone and then you're going to get your, your shifty slot receivers matched up against, you know, safeties and linebackers in zone. And they're going to destroy those matchups. And if they don't do that, then you're going to get, 
you know, Waller and Bellinger on, you know, favorable matchups. So I, I kind of like what you're doing there. We have a dog appearance. Let's go. Um, yeah, when when they made the trade for Waller, it was pretty evident that they viewed him as their wide receiver one for this year because they didn't really do much else at receiver when that was obviously their biggest need. All right, Chris, you're number four. Uh, I had the 49ers with Kittle. You know, Kittle. Hold on one second. No worries. Yeah, so I, I like the 49ers as well. They, you know, Kittle is... Um, I, so I ranked them sixth, and part of the problem for me was they just don't have anyone else behind them. And so... Or behind Kittle, I should say. Kittle is a great player, though. I mean, he he really is a good player. I think Kittle is... Gosh, he's probably three or four in the league as far as his total skill set. His problem, along with Darren Waller, is just staying healthy. Um, but they just don't have anyone behind him, so I, I rank them sixth instead of a little bit higher, even though I think Kittle is a, is a bad man. But Chris, make your case for SF. Yeah, so the their depth is definitely the problem, which is why I knocked them down a bit. And Kittle doesn't stay healthy, whereas... So Tyler Croft left this year. If he had stayed, I would have liked that a lot better for them, just their tight end room as a whole. But Kittle is still very talented, so had to had to put them still pretty high up here. Yeah, I, I feel that. Um, so my number four team, Chris, is uh, the Buffalo Bills. I thought you said you weren't counting rookies. <laughs> no, I said other than Dalton Kincaid. Oh, other than Kincaid. Other than I, Kincaid and Laporta, but Detroit didn't make my top ten, so Laporta didn't matter. But I, I really like Kincaid and what he brings to the past. Yeah, I had them at uh, ten, so yeah, at 10. still made still made the list. Yeah, so my my thinking here is like Dawson Knox is already a, a really good tight end in his own right, especially from a pass game perspective. He's a really good vertical threat, seam threat. Like he can own the deep middle of the field. Um, He's not overly dynamic, not the best route runner, so he he has some limitations for sure. He's a pretty good blocker, but they like the Bills like to spread you out anyway, so it's not like they don't require their tight ends to be you know incredible blockers a whole lot. Dalton Kincaid comes in as a a true man beater, you know one v one, whatever matchup he's going to get, he's going to win that. The, unless you're going to put like a big true cover corner on him, I don't see how you shut him down. And then Quinton Morris is their three. Like, this dude is, has been underrated for a few years. Um, coming out of training camp last year, there was a lot of talk. He was going to be a dude getting a lot of playing time, and it just kind of never really manifested. And uh, But I do think he's like a – he might be one of the better number three tight ends in the league at this point. But just the fact that they have two guys who can who can dramatically affect the pass game in a certain way is, is impressive to me. And I you know, I like that they're paying Dawson – Dawson knocks a ton of money and Kincaid was a, a top 15 player for me in this year's draft class. So pretty big on him. Yeah. Kincaid's a guy that it'll be interesting to see what they do with him. Cause I think Dawson Knox is still their starting tight end. Like I, he's yep. going to play the most tight end role. I like Kincaid may run on only like 40% of the routes and that like wouldn't shock me. Um, he's definitely going to be involved in some capacity. You don't draft a guy that high and a team that is making a Super Bowl run to not use an offensive skill player that you draft in the first round. Um, he'll be interesting to see what he does. I like Can he play in the slot for them and give them something that they seem to have been missing over the past few years when they've tried 
Isaiah McKenzie and Cole Beasley and, you know, all these other pretty meh receivers. Um, Dawson Knox is definitely underrated as a whole. I, I mean, he does play with Josh Allen in a pass-happy offense, so that definitely helps him. But he, he's a good tight end that, you know, pretty much can do everything that they ask him to do, just not at the elite levels that we see other guys play at. Uh, and yeah, right. You totally hit on the Quentin Morris thing. I mean, that guy just catches touchdowns all the time <laughs> from from the guys that all fantasy players want to catch the touchdowns, like Diggs and yep. Gabe Davis. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So your number five was the Giants. So I'll throw out my five. My five is the Atlanta Falcons. Um, I have them at six. You have them at six. Okay. So we're not too far off there. I really like, I mean, Kyle Pitts, I still think is a freak of nature. If there's going to be any guy to like take the throne as the, the number one pass catching tight end in the NFL, it's going to be him. Whether that happens or not, probably relies too heavily on uh, Arthur Smith's shoulders. So I don't love that. But we're not ranking coaches here. We're ranking tight ends. And I, I Kyle Pitts, they added Johnny Smith to this room. Parker Hess now slides back into the tight end three role, which is probably where he belongs. But Janu and, and Pitts just is a, is a pretty good combo. Um, Janu's nothing special. Obviously, his time in New England was not glamorous, especially compared to the way he was kind of trending when New England signed him. Um, he had had a couple really good years in Tennessee, and he's he's really strong in that dump off scheme touch role where he can get after it. You know, after the catch, kind of what we've seen the Cowboys do with Dalton Schultz the last couple of years. Janu Smith is like a serp, souped up version of that. Uh, so hopefully the, the Falcons get him right and get him in the correct role again where he's not just like a, a blocking tight end and a, you know a small blocking tight end so but Pitts is a, is a freak of nature so I can't I can't rank him any lower than six or five because I just think he's he's just too good for that yeah it's probably the most athletic tight end room of you know yes. like Janu is can do a lot and Pitts is probably the most athletic tight end in in the league yeah it, it's yeah, and Parker Hess is a close second to that. Yeah, I think he, he's got one of the best RAS scores of all time for a tight yeah. end. Yeah, so, I mean, man, if if this offense, if you took this tight end room and put it on a pass-happy offense like the Bills or the Chiefs, like, oh, man, what – what like, they, there's a good chance they're bumped up higher than on this list just because of the way the offense runs. It's just – it's hard to really feel the impact of a guy like Kyle Pitts in an offense that is only going to throw the ball 15 times a game. Yep. I agree with that. That is these this is one of the cases here where like my ranking is going to be way higher than the production probably. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like I think the casual will look at Atlanta being 5 and think that's crazy, but yeah, but they absolutely deserve it. Yeah. Uh, so I had them at 6. So what's your 6? My 6 was SF. So now okay, we're on so now we're all right, we're back on track here. Yeah, so your six was Atlanta, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you, who's your seven? Um, so I don't feel great about this one, but I put the Vikings here. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I like was trying to keep, like push them down even farther, and I just this was about as far as I could get, and I was like, I guess that's like that's good enough. I, Hawkinson is. I feel like I whatever the opposite of rose colored glasses is is the way I look at Hawkinson because he just gets. <laughs> He gets so much hype that I just don't see and I just don't understand. And it, it makes me him look worse in my eyes than he probably actually is because I do think he's a good tight end. It's just he's nothing – he's not like any of the other starting tight ends that we mentioned previously, the Kelsey Andrews, Goddard, Kittle, Pitts, 
Waller uh, group. He, I think he can do good things for an offense, but if he is a guy you're running your offense through, you're in trouble. Um, but that being said, if you remove the hype from him, I think this is probably where they belong. And Josh Oliver, they paid him way too much money, but he is a good, you know, like tight. backup tight end yeah. blocking guy. Yeah, you described the Hawkinson thing legitimately perfectly. So my, it's funny because my dad listens to the podcast. He's an avid dynasty player, by the way. You're in a league with him, actually. Um, and he he always hears the shade we throw Hawkinson on this podcast and my other podcast. And so he asked me, he's like, do you really think Hawkinson sucks? Like, do you think he's bad? Because, like, I love him. Like, he's killing it for me in dynasty. And I'm like... No, I don't. I don't think he sucks. It just versus the hype, though. It forces me to say things like that because that the hype is so overblown versus what he actually is capable of and what he does that I just, you know, it, it makes me not want to like him. Right. You know, when the Lions traded him, I was relieved. I was like, oh my, thank God they're not going to have to pay this guy, you know, fifteen million dollars a year. And that's what the Vikings are. They're staring down the barrel of having to pay this guy fifteen million dollars a year. And that's where it's I draw the line. But if I remove all of that, remove the hype and, and my personal bias, you know, he's he's a fine tight end. He's a good tight end. He's he's a solid blocker. He's solid in the pass game. He can do some things. I think with with Jefferson and now Addison in the mix, that may, that elevates him a little bit. He's going to have some more space to work with. But he's not very good against man, Chris. That's a big criteria for me. I think you look at like if you were to adjust – his effectiveness against man versus the opportunity he gets against man really, really poor. <laughs> like, I mean, what's his, his yards per route runs down to like what? 1.3 or something or 1.4. Um, I mean, it's not great, um, but he gets a ton of opportunity yeah. against man. So the product, the raw production looks good. Yeah. He's 1.7 so, overall. That's uh, probably one, a little bit. One seven overall is low in general, actually, but it's like, it's like, it's, it's, it's good. Okay for that end. Yeah, yeah. It's good. For it's, him, yeah. It's, it's, it's not the elite number. One four seven against man. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a little bit lower. But again, it's it's not bad. It's just it's nothing special. Yeah, the yep. the Vikings uh, have to be hoping Jordan Addison. Like the drafting of Jordan Addison does like two things. It gives them another wide receiver they desperately need. But also, even and the more important thing is it gives the offense a chance to have a true number two that isn't Hawkinson, so they don't have to pay yep. him. Stick around. The crazy thing about the Oliver signing, by the way, is. They're paying him decent money, and then they're going to have to pay Hawkinson. I don't. Can you have that much money wrapped up into the tight end position? Well, we talked about done, that'll be over twenty million dollars between the two guys. Yeah, we talked about before this that we the Vikings um, front office slash ownership group probably doesn't think they are winning the Super Bowl this year, whereas yeah. the coaching definitely does. Um, maybe they aren't looking at Hawkinson long term. I they probably should be if they traded what they traded, but. Yeah, maybe they're not. Maybe they're you know they're like we'll get a comp pick back for him wherever he signs and gets a good big contract because he probably will, and we'll you know we'll move on. It's just interesting because they gave up a, a second and a third for him, but yeah, I digress. All right, so your throw out your eight. My eight was the Philadelphia Eagles. So throw out your number eight. So I put the Cleveland Browns here. Um, <laughs> No, you don't like that one. No, no, I like it. They were my first out, so I put I put them in honorable mention. I was going to mention them at the end, but yeah, that's they. I feel like this has been a tight end room that I've liked a number of guys for like five years, and like one of these days, these guys are going to blow up. 
Um, starting with David Njoku, obviously he is a huge, huge guy, physical specimen, uh, definitely started, has started to break out a little bit, you know, the past one or two years. Um, we'll see. It really hinges on what Watson can get the offense going and what Ninjoku does with that. Um, Harrison Bryant is a guy that I've liked since he was drafted. It's been a while now. What has it been like four years? He's been in the league. I think he's going into year three or four. Yeah. So, and he, there's just always been a lot of tight ends here in Cleveland that he's never really been able to carve out a major role. Um, But he's a guy that I think can definitely play. Uh, they brought in Jordan Aikens from Houston, who we've seen flash at times and do some good things. This is just like an overall good tight end room. It is. It is a uh, no studs. All of them have weaknesses, but it is definitely very deep. Harrison Bryant, when they drafted him, I think they were thinking they were going to lose Ninjoku. Remember, he was demanding a trade at one point. Right. And then they ended up mending the fence and he signs a long term deal there or whatever. Um, but that Jordan Aikens signing is is a little bit underrated. That's pretty low key. No one's really talked about that, and I, I know for fantasy purposes it doesn't mean anything really unless Njoku gets hurt. But um, Aikens has been quietly a pretty productive player. He's really good against man. That, that manifested last year. He had a two point two two yards per route run against man coverage, which on a team with literally nobody, Chris, there is no reason. Like defenses should allow Jordan Aikens to carve them up and against man, but he did. Like he did a really good job and um, with no help, virtually no help, bad quarterback play, bad supporting cast. So yep. you put him on a team now with legitimate receivers. It's like, well, what is he capable of against you know in, in those types of situations? And and Joku wasn't bad against man himself. I think he ranked top ten in yards per route run as well. Um, Jesse James so yeah, is there too. It's like another just like solid blocking tight end. Yeah. yeah. The he's he ranks high on the fake athlete list. Yes, yes, he does. Everyone thinks he's a good athlete, but he's just really not. But uh, yeah, overall good, definitely a good unit. Just didn't have the, I think the steam for me to put him in the top ten. But yeah. Um. All right, that was your eight. So my my nine was the Seattle Seahawks. Wow. Okay. I did not have them on my list. I didn't actually really even consider yeah. them, but I probably should have now that you say that. Yeah. I think their, their tight end room is similar to the, the Browns actually, where yeah. I think it's just really deep. I'm probably higher on Will Disley than most people. I really liked him coming out of college. I think he's been a, a really solid piece for them. He's an excellent blocker. Like, and they, the run game is such an important part to them. I kind of factored his blocking in probably more than most teams just because it is is such a crucial part of their identity, but he's a good blocker. He's also a pretty good receiver. He's really good against zone. Noah Fant is, I think, probably a little bit better than David Njoku. Njoku does some things better than Fant, but if we're compare, like I'm comparing these two units head to head, I think Fant is probably a better route runner, a little bit more athletic after the catch, and probably a better inline blocker as well. Njoku Njoku's definitely got the freak athlete, like contested catch highlight reel which Fant doesn't really have but uh head-to-head i think Fant's probably a better receiver then parkinson's like a, a legit number three so um but disley's just i think he's really really good so yeah i mean all of those guys have flashed at times i mean even parkinson which is crazy yeah. and Fant was you know on the scene on the same level as hawkinson when they came out of iowa as like oh, these two are you know <laughs> 
if you yep. took fans like hype and Hawkinson's hype and just put them together, they'd probably both be at the right level. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Fan doesn't get talked about enough and Hawkinson gets talked about too much. Um, but yeah, that year uh, they are very similar to the Browns probably should be like, yeah, they're probably one of my first one outs now that I, now that I, I look at them. Nice. Uh, who was your number nine? Uh, so yeah, this is my nine. Buffalo was my 10. So this is my last, my last one was new England. Um, nice. Hunter. Oh. Hen- okay. Yeah. Your last one. Gotcha. Yeah. Hunter Henry is a guy that I think, you know, is definitely very underrated. Hasn't really lived up to the hype in New England. Probably hasn't lived up to the hype to his draft capital as a whole, but he's still a very good tight end. He, we were talking earlier about if Hopkins signs there or whatnot, and like it, like he could play in the slot out wide for them. Henry could legit be their best slot weapon this year if, if nothing changes in the receiving room. Um, depending if Juju doesn't come back to health, and plays well like no one else on this team ran more than 100 slot routes last year than jacoby myers and, and hunter henry uh kendrick Bourne would be the other option but again nothing special so like henry could he's a legit passing weapon that they haven't really seemed to totally unlock which is a little surprising considering of the you know new england tight end history um, and then they bring in Gesicki, which, uh, you know, I'm not a huge Gesicki guy, but, you know, he can definitely do some things for you. And if you use him correctly in your offense, Anthony Ferkser is also there. I think that's a solid tight end three. That's an underrated move. Yeah. Ferk daddy. Yeah. So they, it's a solid overall room with, I think, a pretty solid ceiling if, if Henry really does get it going there at some point. I agree with you. Um, let me look here. See if I have anything I want to add. <laughs> no, I, I do. I think they're I think they're solid. Um, I didn't have them in my top ten, obviously, but I do think they're solid. I, Hunter Henry's probably shoot. We you and I have talked about it off air, but he's he's definitely an underrated player. It's you, when you look at the, anything involving New England, you have to understand the fact that Matt Patricia probably derailed everyone's opinion about anyone on that team for an entire season. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So Henry's not looked at super favorably, probably because of fantasy football reasons. But in the real NFL world, I think he's he's a respected player for sure, and um, you know, probably probably deserves to be on the comeback watch list because I think with a, a real offense here. He could actually do some things. So, all right. My 10 was the Indianapolis Colts. Um, Top to bottom, just this unit's loaded. They got four guys. I don't see, they're coming out of this offseason with four tight ends on the roster. There's no way they don't unless they make a trade. But Jelani Woods obviously was a a second round pick a year ago. Or was he a third round pick? I don't know. But he he was a high pick. Freak, one of the freakiest athletes at the tight end position we've seen. Moali Cox has been a, a productive player. Will Mallory was one of my favorite dudes this year in the draft as a, a pure pass catcher from the slot. I think he's got a ton of juice. Kylan Grayson is their is their three slash four. He can back up, you know, either the move tight end or the inline spot. Like all four of these guys can play ball, and I think the best football is come is yet to be seen from woods so um I'm, I'm i'm a big fan of this unit as a whole and i think they shoot all these guys can affect the pass game which is kind of crazy 
Yeah, this is it's a good one. It's a it's definitely a room where you're kind of waiting for somebody to take the leap. Yes. Uh, I don't think it's coming from Mo Ali Cox at this point. I think we know what he is. Jelani Woods is definitely the favorite to take that leap. Um, it would definitely vault them into probably top ten territory for me if if somebody does. It's just how are they how are they going to use all all these guys because they all do good things and just like getting yeah. them all on the field and and with. You know what? What you already have to do with Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce, you have Jonathan Taylor. I mean, they've they've got a lot of guys they need to figure out how to use in an offense, and there's just only so many places the ball can go. Um, that so it's probably a, a unit that's never going to get a ton of recognition because right. it's going to be hard for any of these guys' production numbers to like really blow up. Um, but yeah, it's unless a, Richardson just falls in love with one of these guys and right. makes him his dude, you know, right? But. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, Will yeah, Mowry is definitely a sneaky, sneaky guy. That is, I don't, I don't, I don't hear anybody ever talk about him. Yeah, it's uh from a fantasy standpoint, this is a nightmare situation because it's like, who in the world is going to get all the targets here? I mean, obviously, everyone's hoping it's Woods. I've seen a lot of dynasty hype for Woods. Yeah, but we really just don't know yet. Um, and furthermore, that you already mentioned Pierce and Pittman. It's like this is a general potential issue with this offense they just have a they have a lot of size yeah like they're a tight end heavy scheme and then their outside receivers are both giants as well like pierce is six three six four pitman six three six four and they're they're thicker dudes too so it's not it's not like a christian watson six four that can freaking fly like yeah pierce has some wheels but he's not on that level he's not elite deep speed you know he's just got good speed so I, it's going to be weird because you know, I guess maybe a good way to end the pod too. We talk a lot about team building. We've talked about all the success these inaccurate quarterbacks have had by getting them, you know, separators and shifty guys. Well, Richardson's coming into a situation where, yeah, I think the supporting cast on paper is good, but does it really maximize his skill set? He's an inaccurate thrower, and now he's got six six of his pass catchers are all big dudes. Yep. Um, no, I think Will Mallory is a good separator for a tight end, but he's still a tight end. Like it's not the same as a you know, a shifty slot receiver or a Stefan Diggs or an AJ Brown. It's not, it's not going to be that level of separation. So yeah. even Josh um, Downs is not like a premier separator as much as he no, is. Just like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he, and he knows how to go up for catches and position yes. his body well and whatnot. Exactly. Yeah. He's a contested catch phenom that also is productive on gadgets. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of a really weird situation. So I'm like, Colts fans need to be praying about Richardson's arm and that coming along. I will say, so Shane Steichen kind of did this uh, when the Chargers, like the Chargers were a team with Mike Williams, Keenan Allen, whatever tight end they had at the time. I guess it would have been Hunter Henry uh, when he was there. So another offense that didn't have like Keenan Allen's definitely shifty, but he's not like a speed guy necessarily. So he, he's been a part of offenses that don't have a lot of speed before. Yep. Yeah, you got to also trust Steichen to – he's going to use RPOs and stuff to get guys, you know, free looks. So – but that said, it's worth it's worth noting my concern here that they have like tow, legitimate towers yeah. at receiver and tight end and it's not uh, – you know, it might be, might be rough going early for Richardson. So um, any anyone else you wanted to note? There was one unit I thought was worth throwing out there. I thought um, about throwing out if we were counting Taysom Hill as a tight end. Yeah, I thought about team. throwing out the Saints. That's that's my team. 
Uh, yeah, it's like John Johnson, Foster Morell. I was like, this is not bad. I was like, I don't know what we're counting Taysom as, but this I could work with this. Wait, my death chart I'm looking at has them as having Jesse James. By the way, oh, I thought he was still on the. What did I say he was? The uh, the Browns, right? Yeah, yeah, he's on. Uh, he left the Browns. He's on, he's on the Saints. Okay. So point taken though but for the saints so but Jawan johnson's a legit like receiving option from the slot out wide they can move him around um foster morrow freak athlete he's been like an inline blocker for waller i think there's a lot of untapped potential there as a pass catcher though yep um and then Taysom, you know Taysom does things he's not worth the money that he's paid but he does things <laughs> he does things he lines up on the football field somewhere sometimes at quarterback does Taysom run what what does Taysom do the most of this year rush attempts routes or dropbacks rank rank them for me let's do it that way I'll say rush attempts one routes two dropbacks three really see I think it's I think it's routes No, no. I think it's yeah, routes. Man, I think rush attempts might be down. The whole like with Kamara, Kendrick Miller, and Jamal Williams there. But it's close. I well, I'm looking at rush attempts this way. They've this is the first year where they've had a, a quarterback. Like they're paying a ton of money to Derek Carr. He is their quarterback. Like there's no controversy. There's no Jameis Winston looking for snaps. There's no Andy Dalton who's just a backup. Like it, he's the guy, and then they also have now two tight ends in front of them, and and Foster Morrow and Jawan Johnson. So I'm looking at like if Taysom has a role in this offense at all, it's to come in and wildcat and run QB power. Yeah. So I don't see him getting on the field, you know, barring injury. We're you know we can't predict injuries though, so um, that's that's the way I'm looking at it. Like I just don't see a role for him outside of like special teams and and the occasional wildcat rush attempt. Maybe it's final of the year that Taysom Hill does not play too many snaps because it sounds like we we both think they've got guys at each kind of spot for him. Yes. Yep. All right. That's going to do it. We're getting you in and out in under an hour today. Um, Thanks so much for listening. The data suite. Chris, do we have an official launch date we can announce? I know it's been discussed at nauseum in the the Discord here, but I, I don't think we actually can. Yeah, I don't know like. an official date, but it sounds like it is – what would that be? Looks like Scott's trying to change things again. <laughs> Go let's, figure. Let's say like two, three weeks, something like that. Yeah, I'll say before the middle of July. Yes. If the middle of July is, is July 15th or 16th, it'll be out before the middle of July. <laughs> We've said this a lot. It's coming. We just want to make sure it's as awesome as it possibly can be so that everybody loves it. Yes. We get yelled at by the development team every day and Chris to um, beta test this better because we're trying to break it every possible way. So that way you guys don't break it when you get in there. So you can do literally anything in it, which makes it very hard to know everything you could possibly do. Yeah. That's a good way of saying that. (laughs) It's a good way of saying that. Yeah. All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We uh, we will be back next week, probably with Steve in his normal chair. But um, big shout out to Chris for for bailing us out this morning and joining the pod. 
next week we are wrapping the series up with quarterbacks so that's going to be a fun show maybe we'll have you on chris just to get your opinion because quarterbacks are you know hot takey so anyways i am brett your host this is chris the co-host and we are out Thanks for tuning in to this edition of the Fantasy Points Podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And come join the roster at FantasyPoints.com.